I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts... Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. You know, um, I I would like to announce that if Eagle FC is is looking for, you know, maybe maybe the the fifth man on the commentary table, maybe somebody just just bring a little something different, like a, just like a different vibe kind of thing. Um, you know, my schedule's fairly open. Yeah, no, we that's had all a, I'm saying. We had a pretty big weekend of combat sports action, despite the fact that there was no UFC event. The Eagle and Bellator over the weekend. And you're right. We're going to get, a, get into talking a little bit more about Eagle FC later in the show. But I watched that broadcast and my takeaway was they need another guy. Yep. They need not another guy voices. in the broadcast booth. Mm-hmm. Four is not enough. If we could get to an even half dozen, I think we would be in business. And what if I'm just there lightening the mood, cracking jokes? Cracking wise, a lot of one-liners, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, nobody's doing that now. Nobody has any funny nicknames for each other or anything <laughs> like that. They need a guy who's going to come in there and, you know, maybe just not take it too serious. Yeah, just not, you know, you don't want to bring the vibe down with this dour attitude about the whole thing. We're flying with the eagle, man. Yeah. Have a good time. Need someone who's going to pick you up. That's what you need. I think you're the man. I feel for like the I job. could do that. I mean, again, I still my dream job is still. I would like to be the person responsible for losing millions of dollars at one championship. Like because I feel like I could be good at that job. I feel like when it comes to losing money, I've only begun to scratch the surface of my talents. But while I'm waiting for that call to come through, maybe I do a little legal commentary. I like it. I like the future you're you're manifesting into reality for yourself Mm -hmm. i like it man Mm -hmm. remember you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper don't forget to go out and follow us on instagram at cme if you nasty like us on facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event this show drops every monday afternoon for free 
in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are party rocking over there with three additional podcasts every single week. We got the Wednesday live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing. We got the Friday power hour. It's a fun time. We think you would like it. We have a patronage tier for every budget. Join the team, support the show, keep the discourse unfettered. Head on over to patreon.com slash co-main event and check us out over there. We got music this week from our guy Doug Ty, longtime listener, aka Spider Fighting. Nice. He describes his music as instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpap, backpack, boom, bap. I feel like he wrote that sentence not thinking that someone would have to say it out loud. You have no point. idea how much I look forward to hearing you say backpack, boom, bap. Straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack, Boom bap. There it is. I like the music. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear, you can check it out over on soundcloud.com slash spider fighting. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Sean Strickland gave us a tour of his apartment on the internet this week where he revealed that he keeps at least three guns on the counter by his kitchen. A long range gun a just-walking-around gun, and a might-need-to-shoot-a-crackhead-while-going-to-the-mailbox gun. So assuming that Sean Strickland is still a free man, allowed to openly walk the streets, he'll fight Jack Hermanson on Saturday in the UFC. We'll discuss... Mm, some of that. And in round number two, hey, Bellator happened. What happened at Bellator? Did you guys watch Bellator? We'll figure it out. And in round number three, we all flew with the eagle on Friday night. And now we might never come down. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't too bad, I guess, when judged by a certain standard. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dr. Evil. Okay, so good to hear from him. Yeah, he writes, pretty soon the UFC will have a heavyweight champ that can't beat Francis Ngannou. It has a light heavyweight champ that can't beat John Jones. The flyweight and bantamweight champs likely can't beat Henry Cejudo. Are we watching the best fighters in the world or just guys that are willing to fight for a minuscule percent of the revenue they generate? Now, we, okay. have, we have talked, Ben, you and I, about how the UFC has essentially ensconced itself as the top mixed martial arts organization in the world. It has this deal with ESPN. Uh, it, financially, it has never been in a better place. Its spot at the top as the king of all this shit seems pretty unshakable when it comes down to it. And none of these other companies, Bellator, uh, 1FC, the new Eagle FC, at times it feels like they're just flat playing a different game than what the UFC is doing. That's how far ahead it feels sometimes like what the UFC is doing. However, I feel like Dr. Evil lays it out in pretty stark terms here. When you see it written out like this, 
that pretty soon it'll have a heavyweight champ that can't beat Francis Ngannou, a light heavyweight champ that can't beat John Jones, and that the flyweight and bantamweight champs likely can't beat Henry Cejudo. When you see it in black and white like that, frankly, I look at this paragraph and I think, hmm, well, good point, I guess. I I would say, though, this suggests a certain binary, right? Like, are these the best fighters in the world or just the guys that are available and willing to fight for the UFC under these terms? The third option is, does anybody, does it matter? Like, do, does the fan base know enough? A, first of all, uh, you know, especially if we're talking about the bitch-ass casuals, if we're not talking about just the hardcores, do they know enough and do they care? Does that really matter to them? Because in the past, we've had these periods before where we have asked a question, hey, is the best fighter in whatever weight class actually outside the UFC? Does the UFC not have the best fighter in the world at that weight right now? It hasn't happened a ton of times, but there have been instances over the years where we've had legitimate reason to ask that question. And yet, does it matter? Do people care? Well, I would say it's been a long time since we've had that conversation. It's been a long time since you could look at the majority of the weight classes and say that the best fighter in the world was maybe somewhere else, right? Like probably going back to Pride and or Strikeforce back in those days. So it's been at this point, you know, a handful of years since we have been able to seriously have that conversation. Number two, man, I think you bring up a real interesting question about who the UFC's audience even is at this point and whether or not uh, it's the hardcores. Because I would have to think that the hardcores at this moment, even if no one wants to acknowledge it, are probably pretty important to the UFC's bottom line. Because if what we're trying to do is keep people signed up with ESPN Plus and keeping those subscriptions rolling and on top of that, selling some pay-per-views. Aren't the hardcore fans the people who are doing that? Aren't the hardcore fans the people who are just letting their subscriptions ride over at ESPN Plus? Like, casual people might show up to watch UFC 270 if they see Francis Ngannou, if they see Cyril Gone, if they see somebody who looks interesting or see somebody that they know. They might stumble upon a UFC fight night if they see Derek Lewis out there and they, they're like, oh, let's watch this. But are casual people really, are they just, you know, sticking around for Sean Strickland versus Jack Hermanson? Are they, are, are they stumbling on it? Or like, do we have this sort of like unspoken relationship where it's the hardcore shit-eating wild men out there who are perhaps the most important people when it comes to keeping those ESPN Plus subscriptions going? Yeah, you might be right about that. But also, do you see those people looking around and being like, wait a minute, if the UFC doesn't have the best heavyweight in the world, but they do have numbers 2 through 15 with, you know, arguably maybe a gap here or there, does that, is that good enough for them? Because I kind of think it probably is, especially because the what the UFC is offering you is this dependable content that you can have in your life and fighters who you know. And even if they, they might not have the absolute best fighter in the division at certain times or might, you know, in some cases have him under contract but just not have work that he is doing at the moment, I think you still 
have the advantage of having so many of the people who matter to MMA fans and so many of the people who they've just heard of and care about and are like somehow emotionally invested. And just because you don't have the top one or you're not showcasing the top one, I don't know if that is a huge problem that the UFC is concerned about. Yeah, and it's impossible to imagine a situation where like people stopped watching the UFC, right? Like it's it's pretty uh, firmly cemented itself as as the the appointment viewing promotion of MMA. But like what you could get into here potentially are opportunities for other promotions elsewhere. Like if Francis yeah. Ngannou is over there either beating up suckers on Showtime or he's fighting Tyson Fury and then maybe continuing to dabble in MMA somewhere else, like that could open the door for another promotion. If you've got Henry Cejudo in the broadcast booth with the Eagle, and then suddenly he starts to get the itchy trigger finger, and if Dana White's still scoffing at the idea of him coming back and he says, hey, Habib, how about you put me in there, in the Eagle, the tiny-ass Eagle cage, that could create some opportunities, perhaps, for the Eagle. And John Jones, like, who knows what his future even is, man. Like, if I was John Jones and I saw Francis Ngannou about to pull the shit that he's about to pull, don't you think it would cross Jonathan Dwight Jones's mind a couple of times to be like, hey, when was the last time I re-upped, man? What, what, what are we doing contract-wise here? Like, if I, you know, I've already been sitting around for a year or so. How much more time do I got? How much more time is on the sentence here? Is it, is it possible I could get free of this thing at some point? So I, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're going to wobble the UFC. I don't think you're going to knock them off the top of the precipice. I think they're the number one organization and they're probably going to stay there, but we're dealing with a different contractual scenario now. And if Francis Ngannou goes somewhere else and other guys start to look around thinking, Hey man, I could potentially go somewhere else. And we do get into a situation where the UFC can't lay claim to a monopoly on the best fighters in the world. I think that opens up some interesting opportunities for other organizations, man. And maybe for, for some of these other people too. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Next question this week comes to us from Scott Gilroy, who writes, as I've been gearing up for this year's Royal rumble, which was on Saturday night, a theory popped up in my brain regarding Dana white, not strapping up big Fran. Dana has always, (laughs) that's, that's a, that's a turn of yep. phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana, sure Dana has always been our Vince McMahon, and Francis has become the UFC version of Stone Cold Steve Austin in the Attitude Era, era battling against the corporation. Well, what did Austin do to McMahon after every match? And when you walk up behind the winner to put the belt on them, where do you in perfect position for? That's right, a Stone Cold Stunner. Maybe my theory is that Dana just didn't want to catch a hot one. <laughs> Thoughts? So... I mean, I think this has already been clearly established that Dana White, there was something going on backstage. Yeah, this we talked he about had, this last week on the Power Hour on Friday over on, over on the Patreon page. Uh, we haven't had a chance to discuss it here on the proper, but Dana White did come out during his Q&A uh, with Laura Sanko, was asked a, a fan question about why he didn't put the belt around Francis Ngannou's waist, why he didn't come uh, to the post-fight press conference after UFC 270. And his response basically was, something was going on, you idiots. Yeah. Can't believe. I don't even know if he was asked a question. I think he might have just jumped out in front of that one knowing that question was on people's minds. But what this question presupposes is he was so afraid at the possibility of a stone-cold stunner 
from Francis Ngannou that he was like, not, not going to risk it. It's not worth it, man. Let me just steer clear of that whole situation. Yeah. Well, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Dana White's explanation was <laughs> convincing. You're saying it wasn't especially more plausible than what we've laid out here from it, Scott Gilroy? It wasn't detailed and or nuanced enough to convince me that he was telling us the truth. So, you know, when confronted with that reality, maybe maybe the Stone Cold Stunner was in the back of his mind. I mean, like all of us, I assume he's always thinking about the possibility of a Stone Cold Stunner and yeah. what he can do to avoid it. Yeah. I know I don't. Every time I leave the house, I'm thinking about, you know. What's what's my stunner risk today? I mean, you're like Sean Strickland. You got a gun down your pants just in case someone tries to give you a stone cold stunner. I've got a specific one, like an anti stone cold stunner gun that I keep yeah. on my person at all times. The, the only uh, problem is you can't get too too focused on the stone cold stunner that you forget the RKO out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that you can't even prepare for that because that could just hit you at any time. That's there's, right. There's really nothing you can do there. The thing I still wonder about Dana White's explanation for it is is who is it for who who was the audience for that and what was it meant to do because i don't think i look around i didn't see a bunch of people who who were paying attention enough to stuff like that to care who seemed convinced yeah. by his explanation and i don't know if it's supposed to convince francis and ganu i i just i wonder what the usc is even thinking about like he because he was very complimentary of Francis Ngannou during that band Q&A, called his game plan brilliant uh, to, to f- pivot to the wrestling and focus on the wrestling because he figured Cyril Ngannou has probably done very little wrestling to prepare for that fight. Very complimentary of Francis Ngannou, uh, you know, four days later after not showing up to the press conference or doing any interviews right after the event. And so I wonder, is this is the, is it an audience of one? Are we just trying to convince Francis Ngannou, hey, the boss likes you, man. It was there was nothing personal. He just had a thing to do. He he thought you you did a great job, uh, and maybe we can still work something out and come to some future agreement. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just gonna I'll say the same thing I said on Friday. I feel like he knew he had to say something. He knew he was gonna get asked about it at some point. Maybe he figured it's best to do it during this fan Q and A when, for better or for worse, the UFC essentially controls the. The situation controls the narrative. It's not like anybody's going to come flying in with a hot follow-up question, right? He can basically say whatever he wants and then say, that's I've addressed that. I'm done with that. I'm not going to talk about it again and maybe ward off, you know, whatever questions he would face from the media the next time he gets up there at a scrum or a press conference or whatever. So I think it was was like a tactical, positional, uh, public relations move to say this. And if it was indeed an audience of one, if you're out there trying to convince Francis Ngannou that it's all good... If I'm Francis Ngano, I need to have a little bit more of a detailed conversation with Dana White. I need to find out what were you doing? Where were you? What mm-hmm. was it? What, what? Why couldn't you get out there and put the belt around my waist? Why could you not come to the press conference? Whatever it was, it must have taken a while because, you know, it took, it took a little while to get from the event to the press conference and then the press conference lasted a little while. So whatever this thing that was so vitally important that it prevented you from wrapping the title around the champion's waist following the main event of what might turn out to be one of the biggest UFC pay-per-views of the year. It must have not only been important, but it must have also been super long. Yep. And then mm-hmm. if I'm Francis Ngannou, maybe I want to get some corroboration. Maybe I want to ask some other people, hmm, what was Dana White up to? What was he doing? What was, was anybody else around when he had to do this super important thing? Yeah. 
Also, does he have a burner phone I should know about? <laughs> next question comes to us from Jake from Brisbane, who writes, Hearing you guys talk about what's next for Francis Ngannou this week got me wondering, if he did completely split with the UFC and ended up doing a boxing fight, would the promoter be able to run any of his UFC KO highlights as part of any pre-fight promo material? Or does the UFC control all the rights to that footage? Petty as hell if they did refuse to let the footage be used, but so far it doesn't seem like they'd be above doing it. Uh, Jake, they absolutely would own that. The UFC absolutely would own all of Francis Ngannou's UFC highlights. And I can promise you, given everything we know about how the UFC has acted during its entire history as a company, there is no way in the blue hell that they would ever, 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 ever let anyone else use it. Period. Yeah, I mean, I thought about this too when Francis Ngannou was talking about, you know, maybe going doing boxing, doing something else. Is that they would it, we would be leaning heavily probably on a lot of gym footage, yeah, a lot a lot of B roll of him hitting heavy bags or something. But then also I wondered, okay, what if if you imagine a scenario where he fights Tyson Fury in an ESPN pay per view, would ESPN have enough say over the UFC footage that it could use some? Would it be able to work something out? Um, I don't know. It, it, you know, it, it's. It, I think a lot of it depends exactly what he ends up doing. I just think that right now, if you're Francis Ngannou, you have a lot of good options to choose from. I don't know if somebody's going to be like, well, if we can't get that footage to sell the damn thing, uh, then it's not worth it. Because you just take a picture of big Fran Ngannou standing there with his shirt off. Yeah. Uh, shoot some footage of him, you know, hitting pads while Eric Nixick holds him or something and do it, beating up some sparring partners. People will be interested in seeing that man fight, especially people already know him. You're going to be billing him as the UFC heavyweight champion, basically, as the guy who walked away with the UFC heavyweight title. So you're going to have some material there to work with as a promoter. And I would think that there would be a lot of promoters who would like to get in that business if they could. Yeah. We as MMA fans can certainly attest to uh, the the utility of some highlights that are just a big man flipping tires. Yeah. Right? Like we've we've seen a lot of that in our day and age. A big guy doing the attack ropes. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Bench pressing with the chains on yep. the side of the bar. You can do a lot uh, with that stuff. Get a lot of mileage out of that stuff. It's effective. Yeah. Hit, hit this tire with a sledgehammer. Oh, yeah. Got to get the sledgehammer out. Can you imagine Francis Ngannou wheeled in a sledgehammer? Whew, that's 500,000 pay-per-view buys right there. Maybe we go to an empty football stadium and run the bleachers. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Run the stairs. Mm -hmm. I like it. See? We don't need any footage of him knocking out Alistair Overeem. We got everything we could possibly need here. Also, maybe we just contact somebody who owns the NFT. You know what I mean? Yeah. They do you own think that, that shit, right? Uh, they could just... Uh, just like kick us down with that that Overeem knockout gif, bro. In Put the, your money to work. Do you think in the lead up to a Francis Ngannou Tyson Fury fight, you could do a thing where a guy was like, "I'm doing this interview. I just happened to have my Instagram open at the time, clearly visible on the screen, with this video on loop of all these Francis Ngannou highlights happening back here. <laughs> Pretty weird. I still, uh, yeah, whoopsies. I'll. I'll even as we sit here, January 31st, the year of our Lord, 2022, and all the water under the bridge between Francis Ngannou and the UFC, I still have a hard time reconciling in my mind that we will take this entire year, 
where Francis Ngannou is still under contract to the UFC. And then plus, I think, some kind of short, exclusive uh, matching rights or negotiating rights that we will take all that time and the UFC will ultimately be like, yes, we're really going to let this guy walk away. Like, yes, he's going to go fight Tyson Fury in a boxing match and we don't want a piece of that. You're saying you think that given enough time for everybody to relax, cool down, maybe take a look at the realities of the situation that people will decide, you know what? There's too much money to be made I mean, for us to just rule out working together somehow. Isn't that the question if you're the UFC to like, are you really going to let this guy walk and not get a piece of whatever he's about to do next? Because it seems like it's going to be pretty lucrative and you could either get none of it or you could give him some of the stuff that he wants. And maybe like with Conor McGregor, you end up having your biggest payday of the year where you didn't really even have to do shit. Maybe we should hear from uh, Endeavor sh- uh, shareholders like Jake Paul about yeah. what they what they want the company to do there. I'm sure that Jake Paul will be an important voice in the room when that decision is mm-hmm. made. Last question this week comes to us from Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Okay. So nice Triple to hear H. from Paul. Yeah. Uh Subject line, 20 gazillion dollars you never want to see again. He writes, hey, you goofs, 80% of fights go to the ground, but 100% of fights start on the feet. What if we just start every round from the same position the last round ended? Discourse. Haven't you proposed this idea before? I don't know if I have proposed this exact idea, but it's, I mean, if you, if you, I can see the logic in it, but at the same time, every person, promoter, individual company out there that's trying to actually make money off selling you an MMA fight, their heads all just exploded when I wrote, when I, when I read this email, right? Because this, you're just personally, I I love it, but you're opening the door basically for the, for a return of the Matt Hughes era, essentially, you know, you're going to have every wrestler in the world taking people down and holding them there. This also would really up the ante on the late round takedown, right? Yeah. Now you got guys getting the takedown just to try to salt away the 10, nine on the judges scorecards. If you get to start the next round in the same position, you better shoot for a takedown every time that there's fucking 30 seconds left in a round, man. Every single time. Would it just make everybody be posturing for those last couple seconds, just so they could start where they wanted to like, what happens if, you know, one guy drops the other one up against the cage, he's sitting there, and the other guy is running up here just about to deliver that hammer? Does the referee be like, okay, you were down here, you weren't really defending your face very well because you had just been rocked. Uh, this guy already had his fist cocked back at the sound of the horn, so let's all get in position and go. You have to go get blasted in the face right now. Yeah. Like, Or would you be, you know, really trying to watch that clock and be like, Mm, let me try to jump on his back right as the horn sounds. Like, I don't like, I can't do it too early because he'll shrug me off. And then, uh, you know, I, I want to be able to do it right before the horn sounds. So I get to start on the guy's back. Like it would be delightfully insane for one thing. Uh, I just wonder what we would name this organization to let everybody know that this is our gimmick. Right. Yeah. And like, now you think about it where, if you if you get a guy's back or you get into an arm bar position or something like that, or you're hunting for a heel hook and it's short time in the round, like there's a certain amount of, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, fire determination that you have to have a little bit of, uh, you, you got to go for broke, try to, try to get that choke before the round ends. If we change that rule, are you having guys just like get someone's back, get the body triangle locked in. And then they're like, you know what, what do we got? 90 seconds left. I'm gonna just chill. I'm gonna just hang out here. Maybe, maybe, maybe slide one of my arms around this, this guy's neck. But if I don't get it, eh, be back here. Got, I got five minutes to work after this. So I don't know, man. I just don't see any of the uh, the taste makers in mixed martial arts going for this idea. It just doesn't seem like something they would consider. Yeah. Fun fun to imagine. Uh, almost as good as my promotion where heavyweight is just becomes open weight. No upper limit on heavyweight. Baruto. Make a call, man. We got We got work for you. Ah, what is Baruto up to? I haven't seen that guy for a while. Something super classy, I'm sure. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Bruto's doing just fine. In any case, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ben, can we talk about Sean Strickland's episode of Cribs real quick? <laughs> I mean, it, watching that just made me wish we could get a Jack Hermanson one uh, to see how the other half lifts. You yeah, know? I, if I had to bet, a couple of different lifestyles. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right, especially when he started showing off uh, the different types of guns that he keeps right on the countertop there. And I was like, man, we are... To, to Jack Hermanson's pad, is he going to show us, like, the the different types of bread knives he has, depending <laughs> on, like, if we're dealing with, like, a crusty baguette, depending on we're dealing with something softer, like a sourdough kind of situation. I just, I'm going to tell you right now, I think Jack Hermanson's toilet works. And I think that if something were to happen to the handle of Jack Hermanson's toilet, he'd, you know, spend the 10 bucks to go to Home Depot or whatever and fix it right quick. It's an easy fix, man. You don't have to live that way, Sean Strickland. I mean, what I was going to say is, look, we can sit here and we can big time Sean Strickland for the state of his apartment. But the truth is, 
either many of us or or have known others who have essentially lived in this exact apartment. Yeah. We have we have all lived in an apartment from time to time where you have to reach into the toilet to pick up the uh, flapper, right? To get the get the <laughs> toilet to flush. I will also say though, Sean, man, that's a pretty easy home repair. Like it is. It's super I I can easy. do that. I can do that. I can I can fix the chain inside the toilet so it once again flushes. You know what I mean? And if I can I, do it, I'm going to I'm going to hazard a guess that Sean Strickland can do it. How are you going to have a drill press? <laughs> Hey, man, like you, you never know like, when you're going to have to drill something, as Sean Strickland says during this uh, self-filmed episode of MTV Cribs. Uh, it is, though, like, I can't say that I came away being like, well, I, that surprises me. I thought Sean Strickland was living a much different lifestyle. I mean, if anything, that kind of confirms for you that, like, yeah, Sean Strickland is that guy off camera as well, right? Like, there's, it's, it's not a gimmick. That guy is, uh, he is what he appears to be for better and worse. Yeah. I'm not sure that doesn't mean it's not a gimmick though. Like clearly like this is, I, I believe that this is Sean Strickland's actual home. I believe that this is how he lives. I think that he has probably given it to us pretty straight in terms of, of, uh, showing us the, the real deal. Sean Strickland apartment at the same time, Sean Strickland has realized over the last little while here that this is a thing that he can do to get attention. Yes. And he is using that to get attention. And even if it's real life, even if it's how Sean Strickland actually lives and how he actually is, even if he really does have a gun that he likes to put down his pants when he has to walk to the mailbox in case he needs to, in his own words, shoot a crackhead. Mm -hmm. He is, he's working a gimmick here, man. Like he knows that this is a thing that, that, will get him more attention than if he was just Sean Strickland run of the mill UFC middleweight. And as you said, for better or for worse, it does seem like it is getting him a little bit of attention. Here we are. We're talking about it right now on our podcast. I guess my only question is I can't decide if I feel like this makes Sean Strickland a more interesting MMA fighter to me. Like I see all this stuff that he's doing and I watched the video of him walking around his house, but does that make me more interested in watching Sean Strickland fight Jack Hermanson this weekend? Uh, not really, I have to admit. I mean, I think it does something for him because it creates some kind of reason like for people to care about him. Whether you're saying, you know, this one specific thing or just sort of the the gimmick or the character sort of he, that he has created, the, the public image that he has cultivated, where it's like I'm a, a outright psychopath and it's going to end terribly one of these days. And uh, I just want everybody to know that. And regardless of how people feel about it, it, it does create enough interest for them to keep paying attention. And then a fight like this, which, you know, wasn't the first idea, wasn't plan A, doesn't really set anybody's hair on fire with you know what it means for the division or the the, the sheer excitement factor the, the, the not a high wattage fight night event kind of thing and yet the only thing it really has going for it is sean strickland has made himself into a guy that the mma community ends up talking about fairly often and this is how he's done it i mean he's won some fights as well so yeah. give he's him the won, credit there he's won five fights in a row he's coming in off this unanimous decision win over uriah hall 
which was in July of last year. He also just before that beat Christoph Jotko uh, in May. So a couple months before that, he's got two stoppages in his last five fights. So three decisions there. It would be not unmeaningful for him if he can beat Jack Hermanson, who continues to be a well-regarded 185-pound fighter, despite the fact that he's just two and two in his last four. He just beat Edmund Shabazian back in May. Uh, had a loss to Marvin Vittori and a loss to Jared Cannonier, but sandwiched a win over Kelvin Gastelum in there. And so, you know, uh, Sean, or I'm sorry, Jack Hermanson is out here fighting high-level middleweights, man. Everyone that he has fought over his last handful of fights has been an elite middleweight. And so for Sean Strickland to break into that conversation, it would be a big deal, I think, still for him to kind of beat Jack Hermanson in this fight. But I agree with you that this is sort of like a, this is kind of like apex, no pun intended, uh, just some fights territory here where it's like, well, we got two middleweights who are both kind of known commodities at this point. And so they are going to be the main event of this. What is by some people's estimations, UFC fight night 200. So how about that? Yeah. Not, not quite as big a deal as, uh, UFC 200. Yeah. But at the same time, here we are with these, these, these two guys are going to fight. Uh, uh, I don't know, man, like it would be, it would be great. I think if Sean Strickland ha- had some more highlight wins, I guess, if he's going to be this guy, because right now he's, he's crazy psychopath guy who's out here salting away unanimous decision wins, which is, uh, I guess that's better than nothing, but it's not great for me. It's better than losing the fights. That's true. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, this one, It when you look at the card itself, it doesn't seem like what you have here is big time appointment viewing. That I mean, at least like- we, we, at least we got a card at this point. This, you know, up until last week, we only had one fight actually confirmed on the main card of this thing. Now, at least we got a, uh, a full slate of bouts. Here set to go off from the apex, which is which is good news. A lot of middleweights on this thing, and so uh, if you got nothing else to do on Saturday night, you might as well tune in. Sam Alvey versus Phil Hawes is on this thing. Well, is that that's your that's your sales pitch? You're going to tell people that Sam Alvey's on the <laughs> I mean, thing when you're tell, trying to get I them mean, to tune in. What else do you got here, man? Uh, Puna Soriano is your co-main event. He's a guy who's pretty nice with the hands. You can watch that. The, I mean, this fight for, for Sean Strickland, he, he's coming in as a pretty sizable favorite last time I checked, like somewhere around like a two to one favorite coming in this. And this feels like one of those where everybody's going to expect him to win. Uh, and yet, does a win really advance you past the level that you are already at if you're Sean Strickland? Does beating Jack Hermanson really uh, change your, your situation? Or is it just at a certain point, he, you, he can point to the winning streak and be like, come on. Give me something. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it pulls him up a little bit. It's not it's not going to be the huge exclamation point on the end of the Sean Strickland uh, title contender resume. But like I said, Jack Hermanson fights mostly top guys, man. Like he doesn't have a he doesn't have a, a, a sterling picture perfect record over the last couple of years. But, you know, Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier were, were on their way to title shots when they defeated him. So. That's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like he's 
a nobody. He has been slumping a little bit, but we just saw back in May, if you put him in the cage with somebody like Edmund Shabazian, he's still very capable of winning that fight. So in that way, it's like kind of an interesting litmus test for Sean Strickland to find out exactly where he's going to shake out in this thing. Uh, are you ready, first of all, for a media week where Sean Strickland is the main attraction for everybody? Because, you know, you look around this card, it's not like there's a whole lot else. People are going to be writing their Sean Strickland stories, doing their Sean Strickland interviews. Then, you know, uh, depending on how the fight goes, you've got a good chance of seeing him show up at a press conference. Feels to me like Sean Strickland realizes, okay, they want me to be uh, a kind of entertaining psychopath. They want to hear about my dark places. That's that's sort of the brand that I've cultivated, but also that he needs to keep amping it up to keep it fresh and interesting. And I'm like, there's a part of me that looks ahead at the the week to come in the MMA news cycle and goes, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah, are they going to wheel him out, chained to a hand truck <laughs> with a straight jacket on and one of those Hannibal Lecter hockey mask things? Is that is that where we're headed here? Yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time. Like if Sean Strickland ends up fighting for a title at some point, you can guarantee that somebody is going to get the bright idea to talk to like a an expert in like criminal psychiatry to, to get a whole workup done on Sean Strickland. Yeah. An entire only, uh, profile. It's, yeah. It's only a matter of time. I mean, I don't know if you can tell just from the tenor of my conversation, but I'm not super into Sean Strickland's Ted Bundy in training gimmick. <laughs> so I, I guess I probably will not pay a ton of attention to what he does this week until Saturday night. So we'll see. We'll see, Sean. We'll see what you got. Yeah. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, perhaps like Sean Strickland, I don't know, I often feel somewhat disconnected from, uh, let's say, certain other parts of humanity. This week, I was once again reminded that the world apparently somehow is filled with regular ass men who believe that they can beat up professional MMA fighters. Did you see this video with Kevin Holland? Yes. That uh, the online troll who had been going after him. And so Kevin Holland was like, hey, man, look, I will pay for your bus fare to come down to my gym. You know what? And we'll just roll. We don't even have to throw punches. We don't even have to well, throw I think that's hands. What the, that's what the guy was picking on him about, right? Was his wrestling. Yeah. Like his so, grappling. And, you know, true, true to form. Uh Kevin Hall is going to screenshot your DMs, right? And then he's going to post the video of you getting absolutely housed by him. Like, it's, and he looks like he's not even trying. And he's just kicking your ass. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are there, are there really people out there still, again, in the year of our Lord 2022, who don't understand that there are levels to this shit, Ben? Yes. How yes, is that are. possible? How is a regular ass man out here being like, yeah, I could probably out wrestle? Kevin Holland, like, he doesn't seem so tough to me. Yes, I. not only do you think that, but then you say it out loud. And you put it on the internet. And you say, say it directly to Kevin Holland, man. And then when he's like, okay. Up. Yeah, then when he's like, I'll pay for you to come down here on the bus. And you and me can uh, settle this. You're like, yeah, uh-huh, yep. This seems great for me. This, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. After this happens, Kevin Holland will probably have no choice but to respect me. And he will offer me a position on his personal team. Maybe I'll become his wrestling coach. Because I will so open his eyes to my personal. No, man, you're going to get fucked up, dude. You fucking kidding me? 
There's levels to this shit. Don't offer to fight a professional fighter. Challenge them to something else. Challenge him to a cake baking competition. Spelling bee. Three paragraph essay writing contest, man. Anything other than what is the thing that you are a professional at? Yes, let's do that. Let's have that competition. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? People still doing this regular ass men. Chad, I, I was drawn in when I saw this headline on MMA media, which says, Greedy, and that's in quotes, manager, driving wedge between Kamaru Usman and Israel Adesanya, quote, I don't think they're best friends. And see, I was expecting that we were going to get into this uh, where somebody else would be calling Ali Abdelaziz greedy for trying to foment a fight here between Adesanya and Kamaru Usman, even though they've said that they don't want to do it. And then I go and I read the story. He calls himself greedy. Uh, this is his quote to TMZ Sports. Listen, these guys, they're cool, but I don't think they're best friends. If there's enough money for both of them to fight, they will fight in the parking lot. I know how people work. This has nothing to do with loyalty, but because these guys, it's not like they're training partners or brothers. They're African brothers, and that holds a lot of value. But at the end of the day, I'm Kamaru Usman's team all the way. I want to see Kamaru Usman before the end of the road have two titles. I'm selfish. I'm greedy. And I think Kamaru deserves it. Um, so that already threw me for a loop. But my are you fucking kidding me is about... Ali Abdelaziz, when trying to make the case for this fight, even though Kamar Usman has said doesn't want to do it, uh, he is he's saying how you know he he doesn't think that Israel has accomplished what Kamaro has accomplished. Quote: There's no way not to take anything away from Israel. I think there's enough money for these two guys that they would fight. I want to see this fight now. I think fans want it. I want it. I think these two men need to call each other. Mike Tyson told me this: If they're real brothers, they should fight for them to make money. Are you fucking kidding me? We're going to drag Mike Tyson into this now? I see what you're doing. I'm being like, okay, let me, I, let me appeal to a higher authority here. Mike Tyson said you guys should fight. You know what? Just got off the phone with Mike Tyson. Thing he said, you guys should fight each other. So, hey, that's not me talking. That's Iron Mike. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's Kid Dynamite. Mm-hmm. He said it. If you guys are real brothers, then you should fight. If, if you won't fight, I guess you're not real brothers. See what he did there? Mm-hmm. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Called himself greedy, huh? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. wasn't even the are you fucking kidding me. That was just the pre-are you fucking kidding me. See, you're going to know that I have taken this lesson to heart when we're talking and I'm like, hey, man, I I was thinking like maybe uh, we could record later in the day. I just got off the phone with Mike Tyson. He said that if yeah. you're a real podcaster, mm-hmm. you'll do this on my schedule. Well, if Mike Tyson said, then yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Then we, I mean, I'm, I've got a pretty busy schedule, so it'd be a pain for me to rearrange all these plans, but if Mike Tyson said so, yes, I guess yeah. I'm in. I mean, you, if you say no, like, is that what you want me to take back to Mike Tyson? No, no. Like I Chad, Chad, Chad said you're full of shit, Mike. How does Mike Tyson feel about us moving on to round number two? He feels good about it. Okay. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and get moving on to round number two. That starts right now. Chad, I would like to begin this discussion of this weekend's Bellator event by saying I'm not going to talk about the big tuna situation. Okay. I know. You just want to get out in front of that and say that I you're know, not going to address it. 
that you were sitting over there being like, okay, let's hear what Ben has to say for uh, after a rough night for his boy, Big Tuna. You know what? We're not even going to get into that. We're not going to do it. Instead, let's talk about pretty good night for the underdogs mm-hmm. over there at Bellator. Um, and yet, you know, you see your guy Ryan Bader go out there, win a close decision, and then you tell me, all right, we've got some big news. Next, we're running it back Ryan Bader and Czech Congo, and I go, well, well, we couldn't get Czech Congo uh, that tour on the uh, the research vessel. We couldn't get like, tell Czech Congo he won a trip. We got to go back and do this now. I mean, they you got to at least give the Bellator PR guys credit, and I guess the matchmakers as well, because this email landed in my inbox. Like they might have still been in the cage, man. Like they they like they might not even have got back to the locker rooms yet and all of a sudden I'm getting an alert that says I got an email from Bellator announcing Ryan Bader versus Czech Congo. And so like they had this thing in the in the locked and loaded in the barrel, ready to fire this fucking thing. Regard I mean, I guess depending on whoever won this fight. Uh but yeah, this is this is this is fast. This was fast fast moving matchmaking here. And frankly, didn't even let you uh, in any way savor or uh, d- deliberate on a win that Ryan Bader absolutely needed to get in order to go on continuing being Ryan Bader before they drop this Czech Congo news on you. And it's not necessarily the kind of news that makes you feel more hyped to see yeah. what Ryan Bader does next. So it was sort of like, you're like, oh man, good win for Ryan Bader. He really needed that one. Like he's back on the. Wait a second, check Congo. I mean, I again. guess we're doing that again. You know, uh, I was thinking though that Ryan Bader has led kind of a, a charmed life after leaving the UFC and, and winding up over there in Bellator. And can you just imagine the alternate timeline where Ryan Bader stays in the UFC and, you know, what they do with him, where he fits into the picture? Let me tell you, it's not as a two-division champion, <laughs> no, most likely. Not. No, it's not. So, like, it's it's been, it has worked out pretty well for Ryan Bader, and it continues. It just keeps going for Ryan Bader. So I guess, like, I'm, I'm happy for him that he has been able to make this one work. I, I can't say that when I heard we're doing Ryan Bader versus Czech Congo again, that I rushed to put that one on my calendar and set up a bunch of alerts just so I don't miss it. Yeah. Ryan Bader started his Bellator run on a five fight tear, had won two in a row in the UFC previous to that, previous to departing that organization, uh, and capped it with that win over Fedor Emelianenko at Bellator 214 in January of 2019. Since then, uh, he's been, you know, a little bit up and down, had that no contest against Czech Congo due to the eye poke that we are now going to run back and do over. Lost to Vadim Nemkov, lost to Corey Anderson. His last two wins now are over Valentin Moldovsky and uh, Leoto Machida. So, like I said, he really needed to get this one this this weekend. But you're right. Like, I don't think that anyone could even try to make a case that Ryan Bader didn't make the proper move. Go over there to Bellator, revitalize his, revitalize his career, and he's done a lot of nice things since then. Uh, I thought, weren't we going to do the Fedor thing? Weren't we talking about how Fedor really wanted Ryan Bader again? That was the thing he wanted to do, and now we're going to do this Czech Congo thing? Like, I, I mean, I guess there's nothing stopping you from doing Fedor against Ryan Bader whenever you want. 
but there's still. got to be some, there's got to be something more fun that we could do with Fedor. I think as you you will recall that I vetoed this idea. Right, but I'm still saying when the hot Ryan Bader fight booking news landed in my inbox, I did not expect it to be Czech Congo. I kind of thought it was going to be somebody else. Well, how about uh, your guy Benson Henderson? Yeah, on this one mm-hmm. because uh, he is it's a final fight on his Bellator contract, wins a split decision, and. It, is at least banding about the idea of who knows if that might be his last one who knows if he'll continue, but is also, uh, eyeing up Habib's Eagle FC over there. Maybe think about going over and getting paid in some Bitcoin, you know, and just being like, Hey, maybe, maybe you and I talk. And it also seems like the post fight comments that I read from him, I was sort of shocked at how honest and, uh, logical he was being about it because he was just like look bellator gave me a really good deal when i came over here and maybe i have not lived up to what they thought they were going to get for their money here so maybe they will not be that excited about re-signing me and i was like wow that is i think he said something like i, I kind of underfought that contract and i was like that is surprisingly honest to hear yeah. from an mma fighter uh and yet i don't know that he's wrong about that uh, if, especially if you're Scotty Cox, you see, oh, okay, Benson Henderson gave us a split decision here. I don't know if, like, re-signing Benson Henderson to another long-term contract is really at the top of the to-do list right now for Bellator. Yeah, and Coker did come out in his sort of trademark, trademark mild style and was like, yeah, we don't know what's next for Benson Henderson. We'll have to sit down and, and figure it out. Isn't it interesting when you got a bunch of adults out there <laughs> trying to... Trying to figure out what's next contractually, just just different. Hits different when you got a bunch of people being reasonable and, you know, probably nice to each other. And even if you're not going to bring the guy back, no reason to make it acrimonious. Just, just different. Just a different vibe over there. It is. It is a different vibe. We did get uh, this question from the Mission District Crow, which came in for listener mail that said, is it time for Benson Henderson to change his nickname to winner by split decision? Really, is there anyone more synonymous with close at times questionable wins than Bendo? Uh, And we just frankly talked about Ryan Bader making absolutely the right choice to go over to Bellator. Uh, Clearly, like Ben Henderson he he got paid and like had some success over there at 1.14 fights in a row during the heart of his of his Bellator uh deal at the heart of his run but as he says himself and I think you can see just from from looking at the record uh didn't go quite as favorably as he thought it would and so I don't know it was probably I guess financially and just for career longevity the right move for Benson Henderson to go over there to to Bellator I bet Bellator doesn't regret it either even if they paid him a little bit too much money um but it'll be interesting to see what happens happens next he's 38 years old at this point and so uh he's either going to fly with the eagle or that'd probably be it for benson henderson i mean i'm sure that there's going to be some organization out there that would want to give benson henderson a chance but uh he also seems like the kind of guy who potentially could do something else if he's not gonna uh get paid enough money to continue fighting well, and I'm old enough to remember being at a UFC press conference in which he outlined a plan to have been retired by now. I don't know if he said 35, but he laid out a like an age that he said he wanted to be done fighting. And I remember thinking, A, that's a little earlier than I would have thought, and B, let's see how that goes. Definitely whatever the age that he laid out was, it wasn't 38. Yeah. We've already passed it. 
Yeah, those uh, long-term MMA career plans have a tendency to not turn out exactly as as you wrote them down in your dream journal. Sometimes, for whatever reason, you end up sticking around a little longer. I mean, personally, if he did decide that he was all done here, uh, for Benson Henderson to end on a split decision on a Bellator card, I think would be, that's kind of, I don't want to say a storybook ending, but it's a fitting ending in would, a way. Would, would kind of be fitting, wouldn't would it? Feel right. All right, uh, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Ben, we got a fair amount of listener mail about the stateside debut of Habib Nurmagomedov's Eagle FC. So I wanted to include some of those questions here in round three as we talk a little bit about what I assume was both of our first glimpses of Eagle FC. We got this one from Eric Murphy, who wrote, I don't like Henry Cejudo. The cringe act annoyed me. Wow. Okay. Calling himself Triple C feels douchey, and how aggressively he is online is so painful. It's just boasting of past glory when no one gives a shit anymore. Hell, I thought he lost a Mighty Mouse. I've been rooting against him since he missed weight in the LFA and was a goddamn diva about it. But he is a great fighter, and it turns out a decent broadcaster, aside from calling Chael Sonnen Uncle Chael like a creep. What did you guys think of the four-man broadcast team from Eagle FC and the production overall? Or did you not even bother? Oh, Eric, we bothered, my friend. We Man, I bothered. I, I didn't know that anybody had been holding a grudge against Henry Cejudo <laughs> that long. Since LFA, yeah. That's, Since LFA? That's a long time to do it. Here, Jesus uh, Christ. You know how we we sometimes talk, Ben, about how you were, we are admittedly, all of us, I think, judging Bellator by a different standard then we judge the UFC. And sometimes we say, ah, this thing felt all right for Bellator. It was a good fight for them. We don't necessarily hold them to the same regard with which we do the UFC. I think we're talking about an even an even different standard now when we're talking about Eagle FC. Like, we're not even holding Eagle FC to, like, a Bellator standard. We're just... We're just... If it's... If we can just get through the broadcast, that seems good enough right now. And let me say... To log into this thing on Friday night over there at whatever FLX or Flex, whatever it was called, the website that was streaming Eagle FC, sign up for a free account, watch this fucking stream for free on Friday when I ain't got shit to do. I was totally cool with it, man. And as long as Eagle FC serves that up for me, I got no problem checking it out, man. I I thought it was not a terrible broadcast with some fighters that I knew. And it was free. Yeah. um, Would do again. 
you're right that when it comes to the standard we apply, I mean, for one thing, it being Habib's show gets some of the attention right away. But And also there's a curiosity of what's it like when a fighter is in the promoter seat. What would he do differently based on his own experiences as a fighter? What do you just end up doing anyway? I always think that when you go and you watch some other event like this, you're reminded that, man, even though there are some drawbacks to it as well, the UFC really is a well-oiled machine. Yeah. They've just been doing this for so long and they have done so many shows at this point that it's just like kind of push the button and the thing just plays. And when you go and you watch some other broadcasts and some other events, you're reminded, oh, yeah, that doesn't that's not a given everywhere. Yeah. Some other people might struggle with some aspects of the production just because they don't have that experience. They haven't been doing it as long. Although I'm still amazed when I go to a tapology page for this event and it identifies it as Eagle FC 44. What? 44? <laughs> How is that possible? It's got to be a misprint. That's <laughs> can't be right. Really, we just heard about it. But okay, fine. Um, but yeah, you know. It does give you a little bit of a different vibe, a little bit something different. We're going to watch, uh, you know, Rashad Evans come up out of retirement here. You're going to see some people who you've heard of and then a lot of other people who, you know, maybe you haven't heard of. It, But you look, look at the roster for something like this and it does show you the difficult spots you're in if you're trying to be one of these smaller time MMA promoters. Because it's like, who can you go get that we've heard of who has not, you know, way past their their expiration date at yeah. this point. It's tough. There's just not a whole lot of free agents out there. And honestly, when I look at the lineup that Eagle FC was able to put together, I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty good considering what you're working with availability-wise. Yeah, I mean, we did get into kind of a uh, a bummer situation with the main event between Sergey Haritanov and Tyrone Spong, which we can talk about in a minute. I did want to read this question from our guy, Vern Russell, who wrote in, please tell me you watched Eagle FC on Friday night and got to witness a fight paused in order for the ref to pull up Rashad Evans's shorts. Yeah. I think Rashad needs to invest in a different style of shorts, perhaps one with a waistband. Uh, This did happen. Mm -hmm. Rashad Evans was out there in his orange shorts, his kind of like peach colored shorts. And, uh, they did get pulled down to about his knees at one point during a grappling exchange with his opponent, Gabriel uh, Checo. Uh, and it might have been referee Kerry Hatley. I don't know. But someone had to step in and pull those pull those drawers up, which once again, watching independent MMA, man, might have to see the ref get in there and pull some guys, sh- not pull some guys shorts up, pull up the shorts of former UFC champion Rashad Evans. So well, it's. Let's not act like we haven't seen a UFC event every once in a while where somebody's sports bra was in danger of uh, uh, slipping down to a danger zone. So that, I mean, it can happen. That's the kind of thing that happening. You, you do with the shorts. You do want to look at something uh, with good elastic in the waistband. Uh, you know, maybe a, a, a tie, a drawstring that's dependable that's going to go on there and tie because this is not what you want to be worried about, especially when you haven't done this in a little while. Yeah. Coming uh, out of retirement, if this is a big, big moment for Rashad. Rashad Evans did get the win. He did look pretty okay, I thought. Didn't make anybody feel sad. I'm not sure how much of that had to do with the matchmaking or how much it had to do with Rashad still having, you know, enough left in the tank. But I came away from, from this willing to watch Rashad Evans fight again, a guy in the industry that a lot of people like, a smart guy uh, who has been, you know, a thoughtful 
and seemingly good person in this sport for a long time. And so it was, it was heartening. I thought to see Rashad Evans get the win. And, uh, if he has another fight with the Eagle, you know, I, I got no problem watching it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think let's think about our matchmaking a little bit when it comes to Rashad. Cause I definitely do not want you to make me sad out there. Um, but yeah, we got this question from notch Evans where he writes a while awesome back. Name. Okay. Yeah. A while back, I spent a bunch of money getting the best seats I could to a World Series of Fighting event for my birthday because Tyrone Spong was headlining, and I was certain he was going to be the next big thing in MMA. He won a lackluster decision against a guy without a Wikipedia page that looked like a welterweight off his diet. It was a light heavyweight fight. This was Spong's last MMA fight until Saturday's loss to Sergey. Holy crap, that dude is still fighting. Karatonov. What am I trying to say is sometimes I'm wrong about stuff. So my question is, whose hype did you buy into that never came to fruition? And then he says, P.S. That event wasn't a total waste of money. I got to see Nick Newell win and a young Marlon Marais repeatedly try and failed to land a tornado kick. Alas, some no-name heavyweight beat Ray Sifo and was trying to get everyone to say his catchphrase after he won. But nobody knew what the hell he was talking about. His catchphrase was get naked. What? How, how could that be your catchphrase? Doesn't seem like a great one for a mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Tyrone Spong versus Sergey Heratonov here. Not necessarily which fighters didn't live up to our expectations. But Tyrone Spong is a good guy to put in that conversation because here is a guy who has all of the striking skills in the world. And when this fight was on the feet with Heratonov, you could see the nasty ass body kicks and the fast hands of Tyrone Spong. He landed a body shot punch at one point that was also uh, would have put me in the hospital for a month. I know that. Uh, but every time Sergey Heratonov even got within sneezing distance of this guy, it was a takedown, man. And Heratonov is not a guy who's known for his takedowns, as Chael Sonnen told us repeatedly leading up to this fight. So to see Tyrone Spong continually get taken down by Sergey Heratonov and then have no chance to get up, none, which, granted, easier said than done when you got a big Russian polar bear on top of you, but not even a, not even an inkling, not even a, a threat. Like, oh, Tyrone Spong might get back up. Nope, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. So he's just like stuck flat, flat on his back on that mat, and it's just sort of like, well, this is the thing I definitely did not want to happen, and now it's happened. Yeah, but if you're Sergey Heratonov, you got to do it because if they, it's yeah. going to be yeah. that easy. And it just, you know, Tyrone Spong has been trying to do this MMA thing for a while now, as our email from Notch Johnson points out. And it's just like, man, he, I think he stopped one takedown. He had a sprawl at one point that stopped a Sergey Heratonov takedown, but then immediately was taken down right after that. And it's just sort of like, I don't know if he didn't put the time in. I don't know if he didn't try to shore that up or if he just doesn't have that, that gene. He doesn't have that, that skill. I don't know why, but it just seems like, he could, in fact, be a really, really good MMA fighter if he's if his wrestling was even twenty percent better. What do you think that feeling is like if you're Sergey Heratonov? You trade with this guy enough on the feet to be like, "Oh, there's there's some trouble waiting for me there." If I spend too much time, and then you realize how easy it is to get a takedown, do you just go, "Whew, okay"? Yeah. I was worried there for a second. Never mind. It's it, it, it's probably going to be an okay night here. Yeah, I think I know what I need to do. Well, and Sergey Heratonov has been doing this for so long and has so many fights that I don't know that he would even have any thoughts about it, right? Like he would just probably figure it out, win, get the money, go home, be fine. Be fine. 
yeah. just be fine. Uh, overall thoughts about Eagle FC, as we, we kind of talked at the top of the show about the four-man booth, which felt like maybe a little crowded at times, but at the same time, not the worst MMA booth I've ever seen by a long shot. And like I said, man, as long as you are giving me the free Eagle FC experience and we got uh, Kevin Lee versus Diego Sanchez coming up in March at at the 165, uh, I will check it out. I, I, I will just tell you, I'm probably going to check it out because, you know, according to the standard of what I expected, I thought Eagle FC was just fine. Uh, you know what? I was curious when we talked beforehand about uh, Habib saying, hey, if UFC and Bellator don't treat their fighters well, Eagle FC is here. And we were kind of surprised because we were thought, especially when it comes to USC and Dana White, Habib would, ha- has been often very conciliatory in the way he talks about it. But uh, after this event, I saw this quote from MMA Junkie from Habib where he said uh, that nothing about promoting the fight is easy. He's right, Dana White. I'm going to have a meeting next month in Vegas with him. I'm going to talk with him about all this kind of stuff. I'm just beginning. How many years he have experience? He's the best in the game, and it's a big honor for me to learn from him. So we're finding more ways to get free dinners out of Dana White. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. Habib looked in his Zagat guide and found out there was a spot on the strip he hadn't been to yet. So He's like, mm, okay, this time we're not talking about me coming out of retirement. This time we're talking about I'd, I'd like to pick your brain about being a successful fight promoter. What do I need to do? Then the Dana White goes in there, sits down, orders an appetizer, and says, keep all the money. Yeah. See if you can keep all the money, and then I'm going to slide a contract for you to fight Charles Oliveira across the table, just in case. <laughs> just in case. I think he's going to make him think he's signing the check, and really just going to slide that right in, in there under the pen yeah. last minute. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we can get out of here for this week. What is your... Just saying stuff. Well, Chad, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Paul Daly was on the Fortnite today, I believe. Oh, and, okay. he, you know, he is supposed to fight in May at the uh, the Bellator event in London that they got planned. He says, quote, May 13 will be last one. It will be my retirement fight after many years in the game. The hours on the road, the hours in the gym have caught up with me. And now every day I wake up with a bad back and I'm just tired. Most definitely, I'll retire. I put a lot of time in the sport, and I'm in a position to retire, fortunately. I don't want to be one of those fighters who's getting knocked out all the time by the younger guys. I want to be the guy that goes out when I want to go out. Now, Paul Daly is 39, uh, so maybe this is a good idea for him. Although, I'm just saying, do you remember what happened in the last Paul Daly retirement fight? By the time he made it to the microphone after the fight, he had already changed his mind. (laughs) So, I'm just saying, you know what? Uh, if we can't even get a solid yes or no on a Tom Brady retirement these days, maybe when Paul Daly tells us May 13th, London, be in your seats because this is going to be Paul Daly's retirement fight. There's a chance that it might not be. I'm just saying. Just saying. Just wow. Saying. Calling bullshit on Paul Daly's retirement weeks in There's advance. a chance. There's a chance. That's all I'm saying. Just saying. Wow. Uh, well, Ben... We both got a tweet to to pull our coats to the fact that this was happening, but the Eagle FC wasn't the only big-time combat sports event to happen in Miami, Florida over the weekend. Saturday night, my guy, Pillow Fight Championship had another Mm -hmm. event. 
I don't even know how many events they have had over there in the vaunted PFC, but former UFC fighter Marcus Perez is involved. Uh, you can go over on Twitter right now. P- Pillow Fight Championship has 210 followers. Okay. So something so, to build on. Yeah. This is not going to surprise you, though. You know who follows him? The Grabaka hit, man. Of course. Got his ear to the ground. He's got his fingers on the pulse. Lots of videos here you can watch of people in a ring hitting each other with pillows, including, I believe, Marcus Perez dressed up like the Joker during one of these fights. Why not? I guess I'm just saying uh, it's not the worst combat sports thing I've ever heard. It's not the worst concept. I might take pillow fight over the Yama pit. You know, just saying, not the worst thing I've ever heard. You know, the thing I like about the pillow fight idea is that not many of us have been in a cage fight. We've all been in a pillow fight. And so that gives us some kind of baseline to go off. And, you know, as a person with two small children, there's a chance that I will be in pillow fights again in the future. And so maybe I watch this and I think about my technique a little bit, see if I can learn some moves. Uh, and then the next time my daughters want to have a pillow fight, I'm be like, okay, let me show you some shit I saw on the, the, the PFC. Whack them upside the head with a spinning back fist pillow or some shit. See, right now, some regular ass man somewhere is sitting around watching this being like, I could beat these motherfuckers in a pillow fight. I got pillow fight skills. I mean, we can make fun of the pillow fighting championship, but at least there is a combat sport for which we all have a frame of reference. Yeah. From our own lives and experience. There is levels to this pillow fight game, my guy. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for listening, for checking us out. Remember, we're going to be over at the Patreon page all week long. Wednesday live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing, Friday power hour. It's a whole mood. It's a ride. Check us out. Patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Do you think if you try to roll up the mare at the Pillow Fighting Championship with like some memory foam, is that considered like like packing the gloves? I hope that they're checking those pillows for loads, man. Like yeah. somebody rolls up with a bunch of rolls of quarters in the bottom of their pillowcase. Just like, why is your pillowcase jingling? Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's regulation. Put your pillowcase on the scale; it weighs forty pounds. <laughs>